I think the chanciest thing is to put spirituality in art. Because people don't understand it. Writers don't know what to do with it. They're scared of it, so they ignore it. But if there's going to be any universal consciousness raising, you have to deal with it, even though people will ridicule you. So that's a quote from the 94-year-old Los Angeles artist Betty Sayre. I interviewed back in September 15th of last year, 2020, for the New York Times. And I'm John Fanning, and this is the Create with John Fanning podcast. Welcome, and how's it going? Hope you're all doing well out there, and that uh, winter is going well for you, or summer, wherever you are. So this is uh, episode 29 of my series of episodes on the imagination or creativity, uh, but more so the imagination, uh, based around my book, Create. Also, if this is your first time to the podcast, uh, that's why I kind of hesitated with imagination there and creativity, because at one stage I actually talked about how, uh, it was the episode five, yeah, uh, how imagination is more important of, as a word uh, uh, as opposed to creativity. But anyway, um, the reason I mention that is if you, if you want to get um, or go back and listen to some of the earlier episodes to get an idea what, about where I'm coming from on process and everything else, and especially as regards to what I call creative walls and then creative doors uh, towards the imagination and towards creativity imagination with a capital I and creativity with a small c. So last time I spoke about inspiration and rituals, but today I want to be, as uh, as the lady said, be chancy, like the quote said, and talk about spirituality and imagination. And basically how an awareness of spirit uh, can help us understand creativity on a different level and perhaps help heal emotional scars or what uh, Betty Sarah said in the same article, which is what got me to write her quotes in, into my notebook from the newspaper. Uh, it goes, beauty is a form of sp spirituality. Once you start making something with your hands, the healing starts. I call this creative grieving. So, um, so this is going to be a much longer episode um, excuse me, than usual, because there's a lot to cover, so please bear with me as I ramble through these ideas. It's also the reason I didn't get into talking about spirit more when I was talking about inspiration in the last episode, because there's a lot uh, to kind of get through. Um, so I suppose where to start? Well, I suppose where I usually start with the word itself, um, the word spirit, just as with the word inspiration when I talked about it in the last episode uh, it like inspiration makes everything quite complicated which I which I personally think is kind of ridiculous but it, I suppose you only arrive at seeing it as ridiculous when you start to analyze it a little bit or look at what other people have said about it or uh, what other creators think about it and when you start to ask the why a bit more so but you know for thousands of years we've we've used the word spirit as as a way of describing uh, an emotional state or um, a spiritual state more so. But in the last 50 or so years, it seems to have become this kind of dirty word. You know, if you, if you think of some of the people I've referred to before in different episodes, someone like Blake or the Romantics or nearly every creative movement, they always have a talk about spirit or soul. And it's kind of surprising when we read over these creators' letters or their speeches or their talks or and you start to see these words like spirit and soul and it's kind of like a demeaned word now, you know? And I suppose one thing we are definitely not allowed to talk about amidst 
especially all this present day divisiveness is spirit or the even dirtier version of it, which has become much more loaded, uh, spirituality, inverted commas, you know, with inverted commas around it, you know. So I suppose spiritual spirituality itself means, you know, different things to different people. But um, we all get that, that subtle sense that there are, there are other aspects to this life, um, a feeling that something else is going on as such, that there's more to be discovered, as uh, science is always saying. So we have a sixth sense about this other creative world, what some call a world of spirit, which is basically what science does when it uses um, senses or tools that go beyond our senses, like microscopes and telescopes. So inevitably, uh, spiritualities, it's the, I suppose it's the same as science in the search for, for an, an, un, an unknown or the unknown. And so I would see it as equally as exciting in, in that we're only at the very, you know, very beginning of understanding who, who we are on this, you know, infin, infinitesimally tiny little planet in the middle of a universe in a, in a space uh, amidst multiverses, you know. Um, so, you know, if we think about it, um, you know, universes and universes of space, um, they're liminal spaces, you know, literally and figuratively. These spaces are uh, liminal, you know, they're, which means that uh, it's like a, well, in Celtic philosophy, they, they talk about this a lot, you know, when you go into a, a fairy fort and or any of these uh, places like dolmens and such that you, you enter into this liminal space. It's like, and there, you know, these these spiritual spaces are in every country. So we we only have to look at. Uh, I, I talked about science there. You know, if you if you look at it, even uh, contemporary theoretical physics, um, you know, trying to understand that things are not the way they seem to be. You know, so when we enter into this space of thought or thinking that something is the way we were taught it to be. Um, you know, these when we examine these things, uh, we find out that they're not the way they seem to be, which would be a partial definition of spirituality. Um, you know, so contemporary theoretical physics uh, sh shadows uh, spirituality in a definition of trying to understand that things are not the way they seem to be and to trying to discover that. So, for example, with uh, quantum gravity, uh, we we have to change the way we think about space itself. And it gives a whole new idea of space and so of spaces. So we always have to change the way we think about time as such. And, and you know, just like talking about spirituality, this is difficult. And to look at the world through a different lens is, is not easy. And especially when we think that the obvious world is not always real, you know. So the small and large lose their obviousness, especially when we try to see things like quarks and, you know, like how bizarre and, and magical and mystical is it to think that we now know that space itself can stretch. You know, that's like a mind-boggling um, concept, but it's now a reality in, in that space can move. So, you know, and this jumps into the world of spirituality, into a into a, a liminal world as such, because how can space move? It's space, but it can, um, kind of like waves, like the waves in the sea. So, just like light, it's it's made of these little pieces or bricks. Well, not so much bricks, but or, well, with light anyway, photons. So it's it's not what you. You thought it was, you know, this singular singular thing that's that's fluid, and so our idea of re reality uh, changes and has changed, and as a lot of physicists would say, is, will continue to change. And so reality is more creative than we thought. It's consistently changing and creating new realities. So now we know that bits of space actually move; they interact. So, you know, what the, What does that say about our imaginations? You know, simple questions like, um, do, they, do they actually, does, 
do our imaginations interact? Do we literally inspire each other? Um, because space and time are no longer obvious. They're no longer familiar. And the imagination is never obvious either. But it's always familiar because it comes to us out of nowhere, out of like a spacelessness, you know? So not to get too bogged down and all that stuff, but I just feel like it's it's pretty uh, a beautiful way of looking at or comparing comparing the two. And but getting back to what I quoted before on the idea of illness and and healing. So beauty is a form of spirituality. Once you start making something with your hands, the healing starts, and I call this creative grieving. So. Rumi and St. John of the Cross and many others of a, a union with God and how this union can heal. Also, someone like Eliot, uh, T.S. Eliot, he, actually he has some pretty interesting things to say about it in his lectures, um, which were compiled into a book, The Use of Poetry and the Use of Criticism. And he spoke about how illness can inspire the birth of mystical poetry through what he called incubation and an unconscious osmosis of existent ideas. And then that secondly, by removing the usual reservations or what I call walls um, to inspiration um, and what he called mystical experience, then we have, to quote him and quote that book, an efflux of poetry in a way approaching the condition of automatic writing. Though, in contrast to the claim sometimes made for the latter, the material has obviously been incubating within the poet and cannot be suspected of being a present form, a friendly or impertinent demon. What one writes in this way, or what, what one writes in this way, must succeed in standing the examination of a more normal state of mind. It gives me the impression, as I have said, of having undergone a long incubation, though we do not know until the shell breaks what kind of egg we have been sitting on. To me, it seems that at these moments, which are characterized by the sudden lifting of the burden of anxiety and fear, which presses upon our daily life so steadily that we are unaware of it, what happens is something negative, that is to say, not inspiration as we commonly think of it but the breaking down of strong habitual barriers which tend to reform very quickly some obstruction is momentarily whisked, whisked away the accompanying feeling is less like what we know as positive pleasure than a sudden relief from an intolerable burden so he goes on to say that this disturbance in the daily habits results in an incantation, an outburst of words which we hardly recognize as our own because of the effortlessness in a very different thing from mystical illumination. The latter is a vision which may be accompanied by the realization that we will never be able to communicate it to anyone else or even by the realization that when it is past you will not be able to recall it to yourself. The former is not a vision, but a motion terminating in an arrangement of words on paper. So, you know, it's kind of difficult to unpack Eliot at times, um, but he says some beautiful things when he gets going, you know. <laughs> um, and this kind of ties in with uh, a book that a lot of people know about um, called uh, The Artist's Way by a lady called Julia Cameron. Um, and she talks about this uh, when she t when she explains how to get over what she calls a creative injury, and the book is famous as a path or way of uh, getting back into being creative, and it's helped thousands of people get back into creation by being practical. Some of which I've referenced when I talked about notebooks and automatic writing or journaling. But to her, there's no quick fix. So her idea of discovery or recovery is a, is a process which she teaches and one which has a stage-by-stage -stage practice 
and so she has you know defiance at first is followed by frustration and anger and and then a form of of grief um and then the resistance comes in in this kind of emotional roller ca coaster of peaks and troughs of expansions and contractions uh, going from like a, a form of elation to some kind of defensiveness so where the it's where the ego has to you know eventually just surrender <laughs> yeah like you beat it down with consistency which is something i talked about before and but it's done in, in by having that daily meditative practice of creativity and it's um again withdrawing from the world and a detachment from the world but not in a negative way but in a by withdrawing into yourself into oneself uh true go walking through that door towards creativity and not away from it by you know ch channeling a creative focus back into ourselves so alongside that idea our idea of creative healing what i found most interesting is is her take on the meditative or the spiritual aspect of creativity because she sees um creativity is like a spiritual transaction and that like artists um are, are kind of visionaries and they practice um a faith in the in the invisible much like the physicists with the invisible quarks you know it's like this this faith that it's there but you can't see it and you can't name it but um and that others don't see and by practicing our creative practice then we bring it up and out of us and and as she would say it's never too late you know because it doesn't matter if it's a career or a hobby which is something i went into earlier on in earlier episodes because or you know or whatever your ego wants to call it you know um you know hobby is a word of way of demeaning the creative act you know making uh, you know your ego go uh you know you're being silly or selfish or egotistical because creating you know it's a it's an expression of our true nature it's like a, it's you know it's a flowering or a blossoming of our true nature as such so turning your creative creativity she would say over to the only god she can actually believe in which is the god of creativity and allowing the force of that to work through her so it's so it's not her that's doing it. It's a, it's a force. It's something else. And you can name that whatever the hell you want, but you have to just show up. And as is something, again, I've talked about before. You have to show up and write down um, and just show up each day and have a practice. But you're not writing what you're thinking, but you're writing down what you're hearing. So it's kind of like equating it with, like you're listening in on yourself, you know, um, or eavesdropping as opposed to trying to, you know, reinvent the wheel. So so the the idea of this idea of being in the mood to create just then just disappears. So you just simply create. Um you know, Neil Gaiman said when uh, addressing a twenty twelve graduating class at a university in Philadelphia, he uh he he basically says just make good art. So every time that emotional roller coaster of the ego arise to try to put you in despair um of how bad what you're inventing is uh then you just have to say i'm making art and when you make mistakes as gaiman puts it you know um he says uh go and make interesting mistakes make amazing mistakes make glorious and fantastic mistakes break rules leave the world more interesting for your being here make good art so which kind of reflects the quote i cited when i was talking about failure from beckett you know it's like ever tried ever failed no matter try again fail again fail better which you know it sums it up in his reductive way but it, it's beautiful when you look at it from that perspective it's actually um, a form of creative resistance uh, positive creative resistance so in that that way creating no longer becomes a war with the ego when you let the force of creativity in when you trust in 
in that inner enthusiasm, again, that word enthusiasm from the Greek meaning the God within, that, that inner God as such. So when you trust this um, spiritual process, your mind doesn't explode into walls or into negativity or into inaction or, or blockages as such. You know, you don't go asking yourself, yourself, is it good? You just don't care. Or is it bad? You just don't care. It's not your bloody business to to to, to start criticizing what it is that you're creating or to give it a good or a bad. It's just your business is, it's not just doing the work. Your, your business is just letting the work come, uh, which is that kind of spiritual thing that, that Cameron talked about because it's not coming from you it's coming from the god within and it's that fun feeling that joyful feeling of creation that playfulness you know which is something i'm going to get into in the next episode the idea of playfulness but um so when i talked about um in the last episode inspiration i talked about this uh, in spirit but today i think it's more important to look at at the spiritual even more as a kind of a divine engine or something, you know, like uh, that we ha- we simply have to trust. And when we let go of this self-conscious creator, you know, the writer, the painter or whatever, and let the creator, you know, the D with the capital T, you know, uh, um, let that creator come through us, then we're free. Because it frees us into being a part of what Cameron would call like a universal ecosystem or into a flow of this kind of electrical sea of creativity and not a creator bobbing uh, a part on the, a part, you know, not, not a part of, but a part from everything, from that, that, that whole sea just sitting on top of it. So, which I thought was a cool image because um, it, it, sh- it shows that idea of flow as as um, as a depth, a vastness. So, um, and you know, this is why you know this idea when someone tries to get into the spiritual. Let's say, like the author Marianne Williamson, when she came along and started running for president of the United States because uh, she trusts oneness and kindness and love. You know, they obviously they just because you know that's not the way the politicians talk, you know. Um, and because of that, she's seen as kooky and borderline crazy. But if you actually listen to her speak, you realise she's not talking about, you know, you know, fairies and unicorns, as many would say or think of uh, as spirituality as such. But she has actual policies and talks about things like love when others don't ever even mention it. Uh, you know, somebody, there was another guy who used to do that a lot as well. You know, his name was Martin Luther King. He talked about love a lot. So, and so did Gandhi, you know. So, but, and that's that's another thing. It's like the word spirit, like I said at the outset. Like, when did love become stupid to talk about in public? When when did it become a derogatory word or a beautiful become a derogatory word? It's kind of like these, these lexical um prisons again I, I mentioned before in earlier episodes so so when did spirit and spirituality become a problem when it's talking about things we can all agree on um like kindness and love and maybe even oneness when we realize we're all on the same damn planet you know um how can we say we're not all one if we're not in the same place you know all these these borders um are actually just ideas so realistically, we're inherently spiritual beings because we all have this inherent need to be good. Well, most of us anyway. Um, but if you think of the people in your life, you think of doing good for them. You know, not evil, uh, unless, you're, unless you're in the sociopathic minority, that is, you know. So uh, I suppose what I'm trying to ask the question is, like, where's our humility gone, you know? our humility towards this idea um, and what's wrong with meditating or praying a bit or taking deep breaths every now and again and closing our eyes becoming trying to become like what I mentioned before in different episodes trying to become more aware or more accepting so I suppose 
isn't uh, spirituality simply a trust in this, uh, I suppose, inextricable connection between human beings, you know, grounded in love and goodness and kindness and represented by different people in nature, like nature with a capital N or God with a capital G or a small g or gods, you know, on our tiny little planet. So if if we could all go, you know, if we could all just... You know, if we got away from this planet and just went up and sat in the damn moon and looked back at it, uh, you know, it's it's like it's kind of like um, actually, Ed, I I have a quote here that um, I wanted to wanted to read to you. It's, it's about a guy. This this actual idea of a guy living or going up and looking at our little planet from above in the moon. Uh, it was an astronaut, American astronaut called Edgar Mitchell. And, you know, he said, he basically was saying that you have to see the world creatively um, the same way he did or as imaginatively as he did. And imaginativity, or imaginativity, imagination and creativity are basically being open. You know, that's what, that's what spirituality basically is. That's, it's, it's, it's being open to seeing. Uh, the world from a different a different perspective, whether it's in whatever the hell it is you're creating. But if we see our world in an open way, then we we see it the way Edgar Mitchell did when he was up uh, beside the moon, looking down at our tiny little planet. So and this is this is from a from a People magazine article in uh, April '74, and this is what he had to say: There is a spectrum of consciousness available to human beings. At one end is material consciousness. At the other end is what we call field consciousness, where a person is at one with the universe, perceiving the universe. Just by looking at our planet on the way back, I saw or felt a field consciousness state. You don't have to dwell in such states long to accept them as reality. It is not fate, but knowledge. So, you know, we don't, we don't have to dwell in these spiritual states, as, Mi- as Mitchell put it. You know, every, everything doesn't have to be spirituality or, you know, uh, unicorns and all that. Uh, but <laughs> we simply have to try to be aware of it and go to that place when we can to be in touch with our creative selves. Again, our spirits or inspiration, where, where inspirito comes from. And again what Mitchell called knowledge, you know? So, and again, that's uh, against Julia Cameron, again, that American author and teacher. Uh, she talks about that again, her artist way. Uh, she sees uh, the uh, knowledge as such as the very heart of creativity because the knowledge comes from something experiential, like your man going up and looking back at the world from from a spaceship. Um, and then it becomes a kind of mystical union where belief is ultimately ultimately just rendered obsolete because creativity becomes a spiritual knowing. It's not something epistemological or rational. It's not a rational knowing. It doesn't matter anymore what it is because you're just in it, uh, trusting it, uh, enjoying it, enjoying it. You know, so it's... when you become open to it, then you just get in it, and it's the, the whole idea of of defining it just becomes obsolete. So, and yeah, another part of this, I suppose, is you know when it's just basically, I I suppose I'm trying to say is I'm, you know, I'm not here to ask you what you your life purpose is, even if it is an empowering question as opposed to all those disempowering ones I've been talking about like why am I not painting or why didn't I get a show at a big gallery or why is my book not published or you know this whole who's to blame for my lack of capitalistic success no that's I'm trying basically trying to to get to a bit deeper into what inspiration is and we can kind of get there by asking that question, like, well, what is your purpose? Like, what, what what's my purpose of being here? You know, which is a very spiritual thing to be asking. But um, 
I'm just trying to get deeper into inspiration because most answers to create creative problems, whatever it is you're trying to create, they come from like little nudges or dreams or intuitions. And all of that kind of language or those those realms or spaces are the spiritual world. And if we ask ourselves the right questions, that is, with sincerity, you know, from what I talked about with Einstein or um Benjamin Franklin, they'd ask themselves the question before they went to bed and they'd have the answer the next morning. So that comes from a different world. That comes from the world of sleep. That that um but anyway, asking those questions with sincerity, if you ask with sincerity the universe or spirit, all those inspirational words for you name as that, you know, ineffable spring, whatever you want to call it, if you ask the right questions with sincerity, the universe will answer. Because you don't know where that answer came from. It's kind of like quarks. Where the hell did they come from? Well, they come when, you know, they want to meet another quark, you know, or when they're, uh, there's a relationship that's that's uh, not seen. So, of course, you know, this kind of creative spiritual communion could come, as I've said, in, very, in so many times in some of the other episodes, um, you know, it comes from running or playing a violin or, I don't know, listening to Gregorian chants at the end of a day. That, that that's accessing a, a spiritual realm it's ineffable that we can't explain because it's existential you just you you exist in it while it's playing and you're being creative with your body by interacting but it's more than the body because there's feeling and some people get spiritual or into the flow state or spiritual flow state by dancing. Again, that episode I did on the dancer and the dance gets into this more. Or writing or painting or building or making something. Because when we make, we make something because we enjoy that spiritual communion at times. So we enjoy the silence of creation. And again, this could be called flow or getting into the groove or, you know, uh, but any of those colloquialisms you want to use or slang. But what I'm trying to get at is that it can be expressed through the word spirituality without being something annoying or suspicious or too religious. And again, we have to reclaim these words that have been so demeaned uh, so that they just mean something that's, that's trying to express something that's not concrete. Um, otherwise we just have no words it's kind of like take, like Orwell said when he take away the word democracy how difficult it is for somebody to imagine what democracy is because you don't have the word for it anymore so I feel like some a lot of these words have been taken away from us or demeaned because of either commercialism or negative uh, teaching patterns as such so and you know another negative kind of teaching pattern or another negative contemporary way of uh, looking at uh, this existential creativity as such as um, like intellectual arguments of atheism um, which are often very bleak and 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 this was extraordinarily and ironically dogmatic because they they treat their ideas as as these dark certainties you know and I suppose another way of naming atheism would be something like rationalism Whatever the, the ism is, you know, so it's um, spirituality and the imagination or creati creativity, uh, to use that word again, that ego word of uh, silly. They become silly in this worldview, you know. Uh, just like somebody would say before they knew about quarks, oh, quarks are silly. You know, they're silly. That doesn't, that doesn't exist. How can that exist? That's crazy. Yeah, well, it was crazy until they proved it. So... <laughs> But it's very difficult to prove the ineffable. For so, I suppose an example would be, uh, like, how can we calculate the limitless? You know, it's, it's so. Um, atheism's dogma, if you want to call it that, it simply means no fate. So there's the dogma of no fate. So it's it's got its gospel is like a theological fundamentalism almost. And if you don't agree with us that there is no fate, if you don't believe in our fate, in a lack of fate, then you're a crazy non-believer. <laughs> Again, this is the idea of separation, that we're all separated from each other, that we're 
rugged individualists, which is which is an illusion. For if we didn't have other people, then we wouldn't bloody exist, would we? So I suppose another aspect of it all would be to look at it, um, look at all these books on consciousness that have been coming out now for decades, so from the 60s. And, you know, if it's a thing that spirituality and the spiritual doesn't exist, then why are millions of books being sold on it? Why are so many people getting on this um, illusion as such? Or... Um, unicorn train, you know. So, oh, why is that? You know, somebody has to be buying them all. Uh, are we are we all just too embarrassed to talk about these books? Um, are we are, are we not all intrinsically absorbed by consciousness? Even if we, perhaps the thing is, we just have, don't have a language for it, um, because the language has been censored as such. So to me, it doesn't matter what kind of spiritual perspective you have, whether it's religion or some form of mental health regime or no religion or it's sort of, you know, it's whatever keeps you happy and, and kind and loving, going back to that Marianne Williamson idea, um, to other people as much as you can, that works. So all religions, whether it be, you know, the, I don't know, the Bhagavad Gita, the Torah, the Bible, the, the I Ching, they, they all have mystical aspects in them, irrespective of all the dogma. And, you know, the principles are always in always the same. It's, it's some form of prayer or meditation or steps to relieve suffering, uh, some kind of, you know, loving kindness. So in, in Catholicism, which is what I was brought up with, you know, we'd have uh, St. Thomas Aquinas or Augustine or St. Teresa of Avila, or Santa Therese de Lisieux. Um, you know, there's so many that, that, that embrace this mystical, this, this spiritual um, part. And every, every other thing that I just mentioned, the, the Gita, the Torah, the, the I Ching, the whatever, they all have those spiritual mystics, those dervishes I talked about before, those, you know... Um, dancers on the dance you know whatever dance spiritual dance it is that you're doing to get part to become part of the dance as such of creation so what are the the print the principles then of creation then like the like the way they have principles for religion um maybe it's just the same thing to be kind to ourselves when we suffer through trying to start or finish a project that's a very spiritual way of looking at it you know to accept the suffering and see that there's going to be joy the other side of it, which is a very Buddhist thing, you know, uh, suffering and joy. You know, the other side of the coin is a, is the joy. So it could be suffering through a project, you know, um, which goes back to what I was saying about inspiration. Inspiration is just a small percentage of, of the work um, or the creation. Uh, it could be so much fun coming up with this mad idea, but you have to follow it through to the end to fruition and then it, to edit it and, and hone it as such. So the mo most important thing is whatever keeps you relatively happy and as kind as possible to others, which is a very Christian thing, but it's also a very humanist and uh, rationalist ethic too. Um, you know, and going back to old Marcus Aurelius, who I've banged on about a few times before, he, you know, he employed that and modern day Stoics do the same thing. So the problem arises when we, when we don't have access to all this, you know, growing up in the background I grew up on, it simply wasn't there. That idea of the spiritual, you know, you have to really uh, claw away the, 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 the dogmatic from the, from to the wheat from the chaff, basically. You have to get away all this dogmatic chaff to get to the, to the, to the kernel of, of of a spiritual uh, spiritual awareness as such. So, so you know, when I was growing up, there were no books, no music. Uh, you know, the national broadcast, the RTE one, as we used to call them, Bog One and Bog Two, RTE One and Two, didn't start up until the afternoon. So it's not very educative or educa educational as such. It's educative, even a word. But anyway, the the internet didn't exist. Um, so you didn't didn't have access to, you know, look up Wikipedia and find out about dervishes. Um, you know, there were no encyclopedias. So as it still doesn't for, you know, this doesn't exist for many people in the world, you know, so they're all under certain dogmas as well because they don't have access to actually 
educate themselves to something else perhaps they'd be interested in and so how do we learn to create our own system again that blakeian thing of creating our own system if we're not mentored or educated about all the other different systems because you know spirituality is is not a system <laughs> you know it sits outside the systems and so becomes another type it's this other type of kind of lexical prison we don't have word the words anymore the way we used to to talk about spirit because science has taken over the modern language to a large perspective nearly all of our language has become riddled with you know as i keep on saying quarks and whatever other words that are brought up or in the in the the language of the web as such as well you know in ireland we we barely have any of the words and phrases and ideas that that should have been our heritage from like the celtic druids as such you have people like john o'donoghue who tried to resurrect this kind of a language but um it's been kind of extracted from our lexicon so how can we talk uh, how can we understand the Celts or ancient Ireland anymore? That spirituality of the of the Celts, um, or like the the Native Americans, or or sorry, yeah, uh, I suppose you could call it the actual Americans, <laughs> not like me coming here and becoming an immigrant and American, you know. So you know, they the 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 original Americans have this language still. But, of course, it's not being supported or encouraged. And, you know, this is terrible because their language is tied to their spirituality. And if it's tied to their spirituality, then it's it's trying to arrive at an understanding of the ineffable to create a, a, a form of expressing how we can interact and move forward into a creative space. And... Because we need that, we need those expressions or attempts at expressing towards the ineffable. Because people who over-intellectualize all of, you know, so much of reality, and you know, the French playwright Ionesco used to call uh, call this uh, the demi the demi intellectuals. Um, so it's as if you know, it's as if we're playing musical chairs with words. You know, it's not we're not looking. Now, we're just not looking at the ridiculousness or what Ian Esker would have called the absurd or just the pathetic, um, not pathetic, but pathetic nature of, of existence. So when an intellectual looks at a word like spirit, the immediate stance is at this kind of dogmatic perspective that anyone using that word or the word spirituality are, oh, they're unscientific. And, you know, and, and somehow becomes connected to charlatanism. So, which is unfortunate. And, you know, that, that we, it's just unfortunate that we think that the, ex, the extraordinary, the extraordinary is somehow just not allowed. Quarks are extraordinary. They're mad. But, and they're more accepted than these traditions that we've had for thousands of years. So, like, if you look at a novelist like, let's say, Ben Okri and how his characters do these extraordinary things, so they'll talk to their ancestors. And I talked about Thich Nhat Hanh there earlier, and he talks to his ancestors every day at the end of a day. So there's a whole tradition in Vietnamese or Zen Buddhism that where they talk to their ancestors and ask for their blessing, this spiritual interaction. Uh, which would have been something that the Celts would have done as well. And the Native Americans still do, or Americans still do, original Americans still do. So in an Okri novel, you have them, them talk, these characters talking to their ancestors. And why is this? It's because back in Nigeria, they're still doing it, you know, where he was born. So when he brings that to London, where he now lives, it becomes extraordinary. But to him, it's ordinary. Uh, so the extraordinary is seen as ordinary. So some... Some tried to call him, you know, label him then into, into you know, some pejorative, you know, new age or, you know, magic realism or I think one critic, uh, critic actually said he was writing some kind of spiritual realism. 
and and said said it in a negative fashion. But I see those two words as positive, and as a pretty cool way of actually describing a lot of works. You know, spiritual realism. Um, an expression of spirituality in a realistic way. So, um, so if you look at somebody like Shakespeare, who I've banged on about before, you know his his work is full of spirits. You know, there's um, Banquo's Banquo's uh, spirit in Macbeth shaking his gory locks uh, and disappearing, or um, uh, after freaking Macbeth out, you know, and then there's Hamlet's father. Uh, his his ghost, you know, or spirit, who never stops monologuing about what was what was done to him. And uh, if you look at Henry the Fourth, Part Two, or uh, you know, your fortune telling and, and spirits, um, and then in Richard the Third, there's the uh, those murdered princes, you know. So so it's all over the place with Shakespeare. And then uh, you know, if you take uh, one of the great novelists, like Tolstoy. Um, he has a, this great short story called The Three Hermits and he has these monks running across the water. <laughs> it's a wonderful story, but he has them doing many extraordinary things. So both Shakespeare and Tolstoy are showing us a world as certain people see it. They're giving us a whole world, not not parts of it, like, like let's say, with naturalism. And, and they're not giving us magic realism, like Marquez, where there is an actual physical manifestation of the other world, as such, like an angel with, with wings, like lying down in a pigsty, you know? So, so when people talk of spirit, when characters like Macbeth and, and that bishop in Three Hermits, uh, when they see extraordinary things, it's 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 only because it's extraordinary to us, not to the people and characters seeing them. So, so that to them they are real, as real as me talking into this microphone. It's like my dog Homer. You know, he can smell a sausage hundreds of feet away. He can hear, and he can hear animals hundreds of feet away that I can't even hear a couple of feet away. Well, does, it, does that mean what he perceives is any less real? You know, to me it's extraordinary what he can hear, what he can smell. But to him it's ordinary. So all Shakespeare's spirits are real to the characters in his plays. They're extraordinary. And because of time, we see them as, after all this time has, has, has uh, passed between when he created it and all the times people have seen it and it's become accepted within the society, they're... It's, it's seen as ordinary. These extraordinary creations are just ordinary. Um, but I suppose to look at... you bet, Of course, what I'm saying here is that I'm not saying that there are not many, you know, New Age charlatans out there playing or applying some kind of trade in spirituality, but they're... It's to, to understand that there are also charlatans in everything. You know, I've been talking about or comparing creativity with science. You know, it's um, there's many charlatans in science. If you take somebody like a guy called Rupert Sheldrake, this this English former English Don botanist, he calls people who advocate um, this kind of a mechanistic natural science. Um, he says it's uh, scientism. Um, it's kind of new orthodoxy, kind of like what I was talking about with, with dogma, uh, the dogmatic uh, perspective of, of atheists as such, or atheism, um, or forms of atheism. So, uh, you know, Goethe, uh, he was a botanist too, you know, as well as a poet. He sees or saw science as, as holistic and integrated with direct experience and understanding which is a very spiritual perspective. And it doesn't involve breaking everything down into pieces and denying the evidence of one's senses and har the harmony of the whole, you know? So just because we don't see a ghost like Shakespeare's characters or other forms from that platonic or the way Plato used to call them, the idea of forms or entities or whatever the word you want to use, it doesn't mean they don't exist or aren't seen by others. So like my dog or like quantum physicists or mediums, um, I have senses my dog doesn't have and he has senses I don't have. Um, same thing with mediums. And so humans, <laughs> you know, 
Humans are the same. You know, certain people can see, can sense things more than other pe- other humans, depending on what senses are heightened. So some can have a sixth sense or whatever we want to call it. You know, the point is that creativity is not tied specifically to one way of, you know, looking at a story or telling a story or one way of understanding a painting or a landscape or a, or a problem or invention. And it's, it's basically what I said in an earlier episode. We're all different. You know, when I talked about difference. And it's because of that difference that we have such a wide range of creative works because different people experience and create out of their own experiences of the world. And there's so many mad realities out there that we are not aware of. Just like I was not aware of quarks and quantum mechanics until recently. You know, there wasn't, uh, there's, you know, if you look at somebody or somewhere, something like spiritism out there in Brazil, you know, it's another mad example. Um, and they actually have a philosophy called spiritism. And I hardly ever hear anyone in the West talking about it. Even in France, when it, uh, where, you know, that's where uh, Hippolyte Rival, um, he was a French educator, who's the guy that came up with this. Well, not so much came up with it, but was the one that uh, founded it in the 19th century you know, under the name of Kardec, Alan Kardec. So, but spiritism is a, a spiritualistic philosophy. Um, here, to give a, give a brief quote, uh, it's... Uh, the nature, origin, and destiny of spirits and their relation with the corporal world. So now you can go and say, we've uh, gone off the reservation here completely, but people who are into this call themselves spiritists and call Kardec a codifier because everything that he wrote didn't come from him, which goes back to that thing I was talking about earlier um, where um Cameron was talking about what comes from her comes from the god of creativity so it didn't come from him he says it but from the spirits or mediums he talked to who talked to spirits so you know his book or the book he codified is a fascinating read uh, basically it or the spirits um it's called uh, the spirits book it, it basically says that all beings and yes that includes you and me uh all of us have spirits that are immortal and we get into these bodies, and for a while, our incarnations, which is very much, you know, like the billion people over in India and all the another billion people over in China who think the same thing about being incarnated or reincarnated. Uh, we are here to learn lessons and to evolve uh, intellectually, morally, uh, which means altogether to evolve spiritually as such. And of course, you know, uh, if you think of a movie like Ghost or The Exorcist or or, so, or any of these other kind of movies, all these spirits are not all kosher, you know. <laughs> they can also fill certain mediums. They talk with a lot of negative rubbish. So I suppose you you could call it a religion, but spiritists don't seem to uh, see it like that. And maybe I'm wrong. I probably am. Um, so the but the important thing there or here is that uh, that we ask the question. You know, it's like, a, had, had had you ever heard of spiritism? Because I tell you, I didn't or hadn't. Well, the fact is it's in 35 countries and it's influenced, you know, social movements and charity institutions and healing centers and hospitals involving millions of people. There's a wonderful example as well. When the blockbusters uh, Avatar and Iron Man came out in the cinemas and took over the box office all over the world, in Brazil, there were still two Brazilian films taking in just as much money. And uh, one of them was about a medium, a guy called Chico Xavier. And the other was a film based on a book Chico Xavier channeled. And the film is uh, an adaptation of a 1944 book of the same name, said to be dictated by the spirit Luis or Andre Luis. So, and I find all this fascinating, you know, because it just, it's another. Um, it's another way of looking at spirituality and understanding. You know, don't even we go into Hinduism over in India, they have a whole other realm or world view than we have out here in the West, you know. So it's this kind of there are many ways of looking at the world. And uh I suppose that's what spirituality is. Again, what I said before, it's an openness. We have to be open 
to these ways of seeing. And, you know, and it's it seems to be something as, uh, this generation anyway seems to be more into it than my generation was or generations before me. Uh, so maybe those last 40 or 50 year, years would have been battering the hell out of the idea of spirituality or spirit, um, kind of making it into kind of some kind of Looney Tunes, unicorn thing like they did with the with uh, aliens and all that, this kind of, uh, you know, silver hats. You know, if you look at, uh, there's like a global research firm called YouGov, um, they have these lists and uh, they quote, uh, they quote the, it's like being more spiritual is one of uh, Americans' top 10 New, Re New Year's resolutions for 2020. And the icon used to illustrate that aspiration is a person meditating. It's not somebody or in this Christian um, idea, ideation or um, paradigm of praying, you know. So more than a quarter of Americans now say they are spiritual, not religious. And that's according to the Pew Research Center. So it would seem that you know, the word spirit and spirituality is trying to make this 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 creative comeback and and be taken back from this tinfoil hat world of aliens and unicorns, you know. So so for me, um spirituality is connected to creation because it speaks to our interior lives. And I talked about this interior life more in earlier episodes when I talked about emotions and feelings and emotional memory. And then when I talked about awareness and acceptance and change, and recently when I was, as I said before, talking about inspiration in the last episode, and, you know, according, if you think about it, um, there's so many studies out there now to, to talk about these kinds of changes that are going on. But recently, according to scientists at, at Yale and Columbia Universities in 2018, there's they, act, they actually... Uh, found a spiritual part of the brain, an area they call the neurobiological home of spirituality, which ties in with, with this emergence of a rising interest in secular spirituality as such. So the reality is that as opposed to rewarding uh, capitalistic privilege, people are turning more on uh, you know, rewarding with inverted commas there, you know, so are, they're turning more and more to their interior way, ways or lives as opposed to exteriors and exterior accomplishments. So people no longer inherit the religion of their families but seem to be embracing an and or a idea of uh, spirituality as a way of, of being in the world. So, you know, spirituality, so like, like creativity or the imagination is where we consistently come back to looking inside or recentering so we can imagine beyond ourselves and it's hard to find excuse me far, it's 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 hard to find time for this inside world which speaks to what i talked about before uh, trying to find rituals to get to your creative space to get your posterior on the chair or to stand in front of the the easel because before church used to be the creative spiritual practice we used to have, you know, that's where you actually sat in the pews and stood up and knelt down. And there was a whole ritual to it where you could be spiritual. Now we need to have, you know, more personal spiritual churches like the, the chair in our room um, uh, or the meditation cushion or the yoga mat to, to try and um, entertain these new ways of being creative. Um and, you know, these personal spiritual churches of the inside you know, so that we can create more from what we love because uh, we have to carve out that space, you know, we have to sculpt it. And, that, you know, this is why the younger generation is so passionate about other areas. That's why they're so passionate about the idea of creativity itself, that word. That's why it's such a buzzword now. And I didn't realize that when I first started this podcast but it's become very much like it's almost become bludgeoned um and uh, a lot of these these are creative spaces you know uh, where they're being passionate and probably explains why there's such a huge interest in creativity because it's a way of replacing or filling the void left by a lack of spiritual inspiration from churches um you know and it's a it's a curiosity for the for the spiritual looking for 
what I was talking about earlier, uh, authenticity, uh, sincerity, and the curiosity for the spiritual is, is everywhere, especially amidst what they what they call now not knowns. Uh, I know if I'm even pronouncing that correctly, N-O-N-E-S. Um, but people who identify themselves as having no religion, maybe it's no nays. But, so, you know, uh, things are changing. And I think it'd be cool if we were all able to look at creativity from a spiritual perspective without having all these um, egocentric, negative associations with the word it's just a word to describe something uh, unfortunately it's something ineffable so we have to try and embrace it so i suppose what i'm trying to say is that creativity or more importantly the imagination is not simply the mind or the body or but a combination of mind and body but more importantly, a combination of mind, body, and spirit, which is a big thing that everybody's talking about now or has been talking about. This idea of the body-mind or the mind-body-spirit connection. But um, I think it's important to understand creativity from the spirit perspective. You know, it's not just your body sitting in the chair writing the thing out or then using the mind to edit the thing that you've written. You have to have the idea of spirit that's this uh, that comes in true inspiration so to create we have to connect the inside with the with the outside um and it's connection not separation you know that which it, you know separation is um, a very buddhist t- tenet you know uh would be to say that separation is an illusion we're not separate we're all connected and because you know, the capitalistic worldview wants us to only look to the outside. We grow up with this false understanding of who we really are and how creativity can help and how positive it is to create and to imagine, uh, which can create a form of healing. So we're not simply body or mind or spirit, but all three together. Uh, whatever you want to use the word spirit, like I said in the last episode, you know, there's no dogma here. It's just a, it's just a um, experiential fact, you know, that we have a body, we know we have a mind, and then we've got this other thing that we don't know what the hell it is. And uh, thousands of years have been using the word soul or spirit. So spirituality. Uh, so it's all three together. And the trick is to try and marshal all three together. So as to create something authentic. And that's what I was talking about before. Sincerity and authenticity. So these are, I suppose, holistic tenets of the imagination, of creation. And without them, we might as well be writing on the, on the wind, you know. Uh, creation can only come when we're creating from, from an, a holistic perspective. Not a separate one. And, you know, you have to ask yourself, how do we create holistically? Well, by understanding that from a fundamental perspective, that spirituality or spirit is very much a part of the process of the imagination. Even if we're taught to think it's the absolute opposite. So, that's 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 about all I have to say about this right now. At least until I learn something new, and <laughs> I'm open to uh, more uh, uh, more ideas on spirituality as such. Um, so thanks for listening. I started with a quote from an American artist, and as I as I always do, I'm going to end with an Irish proverb, and this one's a kind of funny one. Uh, literally, this one means. Every gospel makes money. <laughs> so, there a gox so scale on target. There a gox so scale on target. So, this podcast, as I always bang on about, it's supported by you, uh, the listener, and that gets uh, through my Patreon page. Uh, there's no radio show here, so no advertisers paying me, which is good. 
the independence but if you want to support the podcast and help me uh uh pay for some of this stuff it's technology and finding the time to do this uh patreon.com forward slash john fanning that's what a h f-a-n-n like the fanning um like a fan fanning uh where you can you know uh sign up and get extra episodes when i start doing that and if you can afford it the usual old scope of a cup of tea or a pint if you thought what i was saying was somehow interesting and if you can't afford that's that's fine too you know uh, just listen for free uh, but try and write something nice or tell people about it let's get the listenership up so because a lot of stuff I just really want people to um, engage with because a lot of stuff I have gleaned from so many other lovely people that I've met over the years and it'd be nice if I was able to have heard this when I was in my 20s so thank you and thanks for listening and if you're looking for more episodes you can find them all in the usual place like itunes and all those other places and uh, or on my website johnfanning.me under podcast and there's a lot of transcripts up there you know if you want to read some or get some of the quotes um that i bang on about and if you're into that old social stuff i've got my stuff there on there as well twitter and instagram um so it's been great sharing stuff with you today so until next time Take care out there and do the work of trying to be open to spirituality, uh, but more so uh, open to being benevolent when you can. So, Shlan live, August, good night, Rian Boer live. <laughs>